Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. We were heading to the airport. I was probably about 12 when mom gave me the first talk about the idea of the cult and the Moonies. And I didn't know what that meant, but she said, when they hand you a flower at the airport, don't take it. Those are people who are trying to get you into the cult. And I remember thinking, what is a cult? And to mom, every all the cults at that time were Moonies. But really, the people at the airport, I think, were mostly Harry Krishnas, but there was no distinction between the two. And I remember going to the airport and the whole time going there, she was describing what to look out for. It's kind of like you would tell a child now about a pedophile. Don't take candy from a stranger. These are the things that they're going to tell you. They're going to pretend to be your friend. They're going to try to get you to ignore your family. They're going to tell you that they are enjoying all the same things that you enjoy. They're going to give you good food and song. You need to know that they... <laughs> that, I mean, they're going to give you good food and song. No, they're going to sing like cool the cool songs. Like they're going to get you to sing all like the cool songs on the radio. Like, like, like someone sh- took the cake out in the rain. Yeah, if they sing that song... <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, and offer you good food and this is you're going to be really cool, then that is a cult. And when we got there, sure enough, there were all these people there kind of wondering why they were singing Hare Krishna. What does that have to do with Mooney? But whatever. And they were giving away these roses. And I thought, oh, my God, there's no way that I'm going to take these roses. But when I think about it, I think about the fact that that mass suicide of over 900 people, the People's Temple members, was in 1978. And that really probably was about the time that we were heading to the airport and mom was thinking, cults are everywhere and they're going to come and get you. And I wonder, just being six years younger, was that ever something that you experienced? Never did I see a Hare Krishna in an airport during the time that I was about your age, you know, the age that mom was warning you about that, the Rajneeshis were abound, but not the Hare Krishnas. And so I didn't, and all of that stuff, I, that kind of went all over my head. So I missed some of that. Rajneeshis were everywhere when you were probably my age when we took that trip to the airport. Yeah. I remember specifically the Rajneeshis because I don't know how dad got involved in liquidating some of the stuff from the Rajneeshis when after- the hotel. Was that it? Yeah, the downtown hotel. He was the liquidator for that. Oh, that's why. Because remember in our garage, we had all kinds of stuff (laughs) that he was supposed to get rid of. I just remember the Bogwan kits. The Bogwan kits. Every time a boyfriend came to the house, (laughs) you know, I was like, you know, 14, 15, not appropriate. And at any age, not appropriate. Dad would say, Oh, can I offer you a Bogwan kit? It was like a condom. What else was in it other than a condom? I don't, that's the only thing I knew. Yeah, well, and of course the boys would say, sure, like whatever. I'll take a Bogwan kit. And they kit. would open it up and there was like KY jelly, <laughs> condoms, lube, 
gloves. I mean, he was, just, and he would be, ha, 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 ha. Oh my God. I mean, I was mortified with these Bogwan kids. I have a question for you, and this is the curiosity bite. Okay. What if you found out that you and your friends are perceived to be cult members? <laughs> I'd be shocked. Why would you be shocked? <laughs> well, you'd have to get out and meet people a lot of the time. You're not, not a shut-in. You're not a shut-in. <laughs> not quite a shut-in, but first of all, you'd have to love some kind of charismatic leader. And other than you, I don't really have anybody <laughs> like that. So I guess you could call us a cult of two. <laughs> We're the Applied Curiosity Lab Radio cult. I mean, do people know that they're in a cult? I don't know. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you were entering a cult? I mean, I remember kind of getting that cult stomach when I went to a couple of things almost inadvertently in a sorority rush. It kind of felt a I was going to bring that up. I was going to say, I wonder if like sometimes a sorority or fraternity feels can feel like a cult. I wonder if mom's drumming in these are the warning signs made me go to that one sorority event and go, Ugh. I mean, you know, this is culty. But I mean, have you ever been in a situation? Yes, I have. When I was living in Seattle for a while, Sonny and I would do a lot of what we call shul shopping. So you would go to different synagogues to feel out which ones we wanted to join. And we went to this one that was really fun. And the best part was like we went in the morning and they were drinking in the morning. <laughs> we're like, this is our kind of place. What were they drinking? Schnapps, whiskey. Oh, like drinking, th- not just like, like, like a Bloody Mary no, and a no. mimosa. They drink. But anyway, we went to, I think, one of the services there. And they just were so warm and so welcoming. And they like were really friendly with our kids. And we didn't know a lot of people in Seattle. So it was really nice to have people that were welcoming us and inviting us over for dinner and like having taking our kids because we didn't even have babysitters. So we started going casually to people's houses for dinner. And then they would invite us to some lectures, which, you know, that's interesting. And well, give me, going, yeah, but you remember any lectures? Um, well, no, uh, not exactly a lecture, but this one time we were sitting around and somebody was talking about getting back to the shtetl and like separating ourselves from the regular community, like the regular world. That was one of mom's warning signs. I know. And well, this was near the end because we were very, we enjoyed them. They were fun. They laughed. They joked. But then when they started talking about that, it felt uncomfortable. How often were you going? Well, it started off like going to some services, maybe once every other week, then started going to dinner. So that would be twice a week. And then they would, I would see them at different places and it just became more and more and more. But I still had a job. I mean, it wasn't like we were sucked in. But when we heard that conversation about getting back to the shtetl, I said to Sonny, we got in the car and we were driving home and I said, um, are you starting to feel like maybe this is a cult? He's like, oh, my God, I was thinking the same exact thing. And sure enough, we felt like we were getting sucked in. So what'd you do? We cut it, went cold turkey, just cut it off. Were they calling you and saying, where are you? I mean, yeah, a little bit. But I think just not going sent them a message. And we weren't fully into it at that point, but we were certainly headed in that direction. So... The, the minute we felt that, like you said, that cult stomach, mm-hmm. we had to get out. A cult 
strictly speaking, is a particular system of religious worship, especially with reference to its rites and ceremonies. I don't think that would differentiate it from any other kind of organization, religious organization, fraternal organization. It's now used in a more more pejorative sense, but it definitely refers to a cohesive social group, usually religious, where the surrounding society considers it outside, outside the mainstream or possibly dangerous. The literal word is from the Latin word cultus, meaning care or adoration. And if you think about that, every human being belongs to a cult in the most general sense, because everyone belongs to a culture. Culture and cult come from the same origin, Mm -hmm. which is conveyed by the language they speak and the habits that they have. How do you think about cults? When does something get labeled a cult? Because if you really think about Early Christianity, for example, when it began, it was a minor. It was a minority system of beliefs with controversial practices. And you think about like the Holy Communion. It was considered a small cult or a minority group, and it was criticized by those that didn't understand it. And there were rumors spread about Christians drinking human blood and eating human flesh. But when it became an official state religion, widely accepted, then it became part of the activities of a culture as a whole. So cult then became culture. So I thought, well, when did cult, this whole idea of cult start becoming scary and dangerous? And obviously to me and to mom, it was in the 70s when some of these cults resulted in people being killed. But it really began in the 1930s because cults became the object of the sociological study in the context of the study of religious behavior. And the Christian counter-cult movement was in the 1940s, where it opposed a lot of the sex and new religious movements. But there is now a movement to not call new religions cults, because even in some writings, Mormonism is considered a cult, Christian science is considered a cult, Scientology. Scientology for sure is considered a cult. But there is now a movement to not identify these things as cults, but as new religious movements. Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? And, and when I asked you the curiosity by, if you found out that you and your friends were perceived to be cult members, immediately you think of religion, but it also could be in your fraternity or your secret society or your group of friends who have handshakes and develop things to differentiate between insiders and outsiders. How do people know that they're in a cult? Well, interesting that you ask because I have a list. A list. Of course I have a list. And it's some things to know, little signs that show you that you may be in a cult. One is the leader is the ultimate authority. If you're not allowed to criticize your leader, even if the criticism is true, you may be in a cult. Do you think that people who are severe Trump supporters, who believe and stand by everything he says, or or conversely, severe Obama supporters, or with these new candidates coming on, severe Buddha Jing Jing or whatever that guy that's running for president, <laughs> I'm, I call him Buddha Jing Jing, Buddha Jing, Judge Judge. You know the guy that's that's running for president. He's that mayor and he's really cute and he's Democrat and he. I know exactly who you're talking about. Buddha Jing Jing. He's going to be our president, and you're going to remember. We're going to listen to this. Yeah, we're going to listen. I, I'm embarrassed because I'm not saying it, but like so many <laughs> people hear him and they're already joining this cult of personality. How do you think about cult versus cult of personality when? You feel the pressure not to be able to criticize. I don't think there's much of a difference when you're talking about like real Trump lovers or real Hillary lovers or whatever. You're, if you say something bad amongst certain circles about Trump, you are in trouble. So I think that 
does sort of fall into that category. So that goes back to episode two. Are you of the right mind to know when the wrong person has the right mind or are you of the right mind to know when the right person has the wrong mind? That might be your number one thing to check when you are trying to see whether you might have slipped into cult membership. What's the second one? This one really goes along with our Applied Curiosity Lab workshops. The group suppresses skepticism. So you're only allowed to study your organization through approved sources. If you have critical thinking, that is like an infectious disease. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're suggesting that if people think that critical thinking is an infectious disease versus an effective tool, that might mean you're a member of a cult. Exactly. Basically, you're not you're you're letting that brain bug rule you. You're not taking a moment to Be skeptical. Be skeptical. If you had to summarize number two, it would be a complete lack of skepticism. Exactly. The group delegitimizes former members. So if you are no longer a member, you are persona non grata. All right. Well, this makes me think of all the different kinds of religions that are definitely deemed not as cults, monotheistic religions, Judaism. If you leave Judaism in a non-Orthodox context, and I can speak, you know, we can speak from this from experience. If you leave Judaism from a non-Orthodox context and you decide that you're not part of being Jewish, unless you actively convert to some other religion, you're still considered Jewish. I mean, you're not, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you are. But Christianity, you can more easily probably enter in or out of being a Christian. If you left most non-Orthodox sects of Christianity, maybe you would just be not members, kind of like when you left Aish, you know, you weren't probably part of that, but they didn't ostracize you. No, they just didn't invite me to their reindeer games. Oh, you didn't get any free childcare and food and and whiskey for breakfast. Wine and song, Uh, Wine and song, exactly. But I think about orthodoxy within Judaism, which I'm much more familiar with, obviously, than orthodoxy within Christianity. But there are orthodox communities within Judaism, the Haredi or whatever, where if you do leave, you are certainly excommunicated in a very severe way. You are not threatened. Your life is not threatened. You're not afraid of being killed. I think in Islam, in orthodox Islam or Islamism, distinct from Islam, right. strict adherence, where if you do leave that particular religious group, not only are you excommunicated, but you actually need to fear for your life. I think that might be unique. There might be some other religions, but in the three monotheistic religions, that's unique, I think, to Islamism. Not Islam, but Islamism. That's a tongue twister, but yeah. That is a tongue twister, but it is a huge distinction that I think a lot of people fail to make. That, I don't think, is any different than the hyper-orthodoxy of things that are not considered cults that we consider religion. I don't know about Hinduism or different kinds of sects of Buddhism and leaving those. And if you're ostracized, I'm not familiar enough to know whether that's really a thing. So now we've got the charismatic leader, we've got the shunning skepticism, and we've got if you leave, you're shunned. What next? When you become paranoid of the outside world, if the group insists that the end of the world is near, you might be in a cult. I'm actually reading... Educated. Have you read that book yet? Mm-hmm. It's a memoir of this woman who grew up in a, I wouldn't even characterize this as fundamental Mormonism because I think that she grew up in a family where her father had severe bipolar disorder and this fundamentalist ideology mixed. So I think it would be unfair to characterize that as fundamental Mormonism. In would, the book, does she attribute to Mormonism or just the bipolar? I'm not done. I'm about two thirds of the way done with mm. it. And it's fantastic. But I don't know what conclusion she draws, but I can't imagine 
with how she's looking at it and how now she's a phenomenal writer that she's not looking at the element of mental illness as or mental health disorder as part of it. But clearly that was the whole fear of the outside world and identifying all of these people who even showed a shoulder or an ankle. They were called, they called them Gentiles. Mm which was like heathens or heretics. Actually, it's interesting because if you think about heretic, it's really one who holds a doctrine at variance with an established dominant standard. For example, someone who doesn't conform to generally accepted beliefs or practices. In a way, I kind of think we're heretics. I'm a heretic. I'm a heretic. heretic. Wouldn't you like to be a heretic too? I think mom created us as heretics. Like there was no way we were ever going to be able to conform in the standard ways. Now, I mean, obviously we weren't doing crazy, crazy things, but I mean, just like in the fashion, I remember I wanted these (laughs) ditto pants. What about the shoes? The Sabikas? Yes. I wanted ditto pants (laughs) in sixth grade. Sabikas were seventh grade because I was going to to junior high, but Mm. I wanted these ditto pants and they only came in red in my size and I didn't want them in red because that wasn't the cool girl color whatever and mom just got all up in my face about being a conformist and a follower. I mean, what was the worst thing that she could possibly call you? Like what was Uh, follower? I mean, I the worst. And I honestly I wonder if that came from having raised children in this the rise of the cult. In the rise of the cult. The rise of the fear of the cult in the wow. 70s. I don't know. But there was something there. And then in seventh grade, I was so excited to get my Sabikas. <laughs> I, I remember baby, this. I babysat my ass off to get those Sabikas. <laughs> and I rem- I mean, I had no business, nor have I ever had business walking around in high heels. I am a klutz <laughs> of the highest order. I remember going to the bus the first day of seventh grade in my Sabikas. I walk, walk, walk. My ankle turned. I fell my books went everywhere. I got to seventh grade bloody, but I had <laughs> but those damn hot. Sabikas. <laughs> and mom was saying, $32 for shoes. That's just ridiculous. That's a Shonda. Why are you spending all that money? But two weeks into middle school or actually junior high, someone broke into my locker and stole those Sabikas. I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, my God. I had begged, borrowed. And, and you know how many hours at 25 cents an hour you have to babysit to buy $32 Sabikas? Are you kidding me? Poor pukes. Poor pukes. I'm so sad for I you. I never had my Sabikas again. And, you know, I really had no business. I mean, yeah. I was climbing around anyway (laughs) but that was conformity and that was something that she absolutely raised us to be heretics i think you're onto something i do too what's next when the group relies on shame cycles so if you need if you need your group in order to feel worthy loved or sufficient you may be in a cult shame 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 did you watch no, oh, I not yet. I'm going to wait till it's all done. We're going to wait till the final season of Game of Thrones and then you're going to totally like binge it. Mm-hmm. God, that shame episode. So what other things are not considered cults where shame is a big part of keeping people in line? Working out. CrossFit. Is CrossFit a cult? Can be, I bet. I don't know. I've never done well, CrossFit. Do you think that they shame people? I think that there's some shame that goes along. I mean, I used to be a personal trainer, so shame helps. Did you use shame? Shame. Shame. Okay, what's like the worst shame that you ever used to get your clients to do something? I don't think I actually did, but there was this one guy who was getting ready for her wedding. If she missed or didn't do what I needed her to do, I would guilt her. I wouldn't say shame her, but I guilted her because I wanted her to be ready for her wedding. What's the difference between making someone feel guilty and, and making someone feel shame? 
one is not a cult. Thank you very much. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> well, I thought guilt was a primary part of both Catholicism and Judaism. Yeah. So shame and guilt must be very, very different. When you feel like you need the group to be loved, worthy, and sufficient. I think that's the difference. Uh, I think worthy is probably the best thing. When you feel worthy. Yeah, because you can feel loved when you feel that you worthy. I think shame is a lack of worth. Yeah. What was the last one? Sufficient. 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 Okay. Anything else? When the leader is above the law, mm. when the group uses thought reform methods, when like they use little cliches. Like what? Like Follow the leader or doubt your doubts. That's a good one. That's doubt like, your doubts. That sounds like one of those business cliches. Fail fast. Fail forward. I wonder if some of these business cultures can be considered by the criteria that you're sharing. Cult cultures. Well, I think if you're held to a different moral standard, specifically in regard to sex, things like that, money. Like you can have sex with some of the people in your cult or mm -hmm. that you can take money from them. Right. Do you remember any of the, some of these cults? I mean, we talked about the Moonies. I know that calling people Moonies was sometimes considered pejorative, but it was also known as a unification church, but it came from Sun Myung Moon. I mean, that was- Oh, I remember, was wondering, yeah. Do you remember that or the- you sounds, remember? Well, I remember- Hare Krishna's. Hare Krishna's. Who was in the, the with the Waco- who was in that? Oh, that was, was a the Branch group? Davidians. There you go. That was a Branch Davidians. Was that the guy with the googly eyes? I don't know you why I'm always, so obsessed with the guy with the googly you eyes. You always think that I wonder whether the there is something unique with the eyes of cult leaders. Because if you think about Rajneeshis and you think about the Bhagwan, you look at his eyes. He had the most yeah. milky. They were almost googly. Well, I think he was high. I mean, I just think he was so high. But you have a thing about googly that one eyes. Guy, that one guy had really googly eyes, though. David Koresh? Yes. Is that who from I the Branch, so. Branch yeah. Davidians? You always think that googly eyes are a sign of like someone being weird or hypnotic or whatever. The only study that I really remember was the study, I think it was in the early 90s, and it was done at the University of Virginia where they, and most of the people at the time in the early 90s had heard of the Moonies. Mm -hmm. But when you think about behaviors that's, that is considered culty or non-culty behaviors, this was an interesting study because subjects were asked to read a description of a young man who joins a group and is exposed to its indoctrination process. And depending on the Ooh. condition, some subjects were led to believe that the group was either A, the Moonies, B, the Marines, or C, the Catholic Church. Oh my God. And other than the group label, all three conditions had the same description of the indoctrination process. And then they were asked to evaluate both the group's indoctrination techniques and the individuals who joined the group and to complete a questionnaire that identified their general knowledge of cults. And the results indicated that the subject ratings are significantly affected by the group label. When they looked at the indoctrination and thought that they were Marines, it was totally fine. They didn't think of anything of it. The same indoctrination for the Moonies so what's like one of the things they did to indoctrinate? I don't remember any of the oh. kinds of things, but they took the same indoctrination, which is why I think it goes back to the curiosity bite. It would be really hard. Like it would not be wildly surprising if you had a group of friends and you all were like a book club or a podcast club where you all listen to Applied Curiosity Lab radio and then you discuss. Well, like you really 
isolated your group and you didn't talk outside of the group and there was some leader that ran the group and then you described those kinds of indoctrination techniques or not even indoctrination techniques you describe kind of what allowed people to join those things could be considered culty if people thought that this particular podcast club was a cult yeah I mean, we all look for like-minded. It's in our nature. We're always looking for something to connect to. So it's not crazy unheard of. By the way, Marshall Applewhite was the leader of the Heaven's Gate. He's the one with the googly eyes. He did that seven-minute video in Berkeley, California. When was it? It The the cult was like from 1972 to 1997. Mm. So I remember... I remember that. Yeah, Heaven's Gate. Gate. And he came from a kingdom of heaven via an extraterrestrial spacecraft. There's a lot of cults that come from or are associated with or fearful of the extraterrestrial ET spacecraft. Yes. One of the things that was interesting about this book, Educated Again, they were talking about how Y2K, I remember remember Y2K, there were so many cults that were identifying where Y2K was going to signify the end of all of civilization. Well, the end of the world is a good way to get people to join. There actually are some crazy religions still active today. Ekinar, Ekinkar, it was founded in Minnesota in 1965, and they believe that they can separate their soul from their body and experience the light and sound of God by journeying beyond the mortal form. The leader is some CEO of some materials company that's for profit. Well, I think about how that kind of duality legitimizes people. For example, you think about Michael Jackson mm-hmm. and you think about how the whole entire world revered him, which would make being skeptical of any of his behavior seem counterintuitive. And so if you get, you've got a cult leader who on Sunday mornings runs some cult and Monday through Friday is running some big company that people, that's publicly traded, that people invest in, it would be a lot harder to be skeptical of what they're saying. If what they're saying Monday through Friday is revered and believed in the market, then on Sunday, it would be harder to question what they say. Yeah. It doesn't call into question as easily as someone with googly eyes who's wandering the streets in a blanket and spouting out crazy things. And then on Sunday, they're in some church with, it's easier to dismiss them as cults. But what is harder to identify are when upstanding citizens are doing upstanding things that a lot of people see as normal or even inspirational or aspirational. Mm -hmm. And then they're doing some of the things where in any other context would be seen as cray cray. I think it would be harder to see that as such. What would be good advice for parents to help their child avoid getting sucked into a cult? Did you talk to your kids about this at all? Yes. Frankly, Becky, I think the main thing is curiosity. Using that critical thinking, questioning. If something was comfortable, if something, if people were pressuring them to do something, be a little bit smarter and don't just accept it. But think about it. Think about why are you doing this? All of these things are the kinds of things where you have to balance skepticism with living a life of complete paranoia. Curiosity is a much safer tool. So if you are feeling that you are being made to feel shame or you're being made to feel stupid or not or unworthy if you don't, I think that might be the best clue that you can give to your children and to yourself. 
whether that's a relationship, a group of friends, an organization, whatever. And that might be why the sort of fact from PU, prestigious <laughs> university, found that 93% of Americans, and this is specifically Americans, 93% of Americans have either knowingly or unknowingly been very close to being invited into a cult. So I ask you this curiosity question and we'd love to have people respond with their answers. Thank you for all the people who have sent in their answers yeah. to the Curiosity Bites. This is really becoming fun. It we've really got, is. We've had some really amazing responses to the Curiosity Bites, which we will read and do call-outs very soon. What if you found out that you and your friends are perceived to be cult members? Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, subscribe to Apply Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.